After all, you will not forsake me. Hold on to that. That's going to be important this morning. Water can be scary, especially seas, S-E-A-S. When I was a little boy, we used to take our 16, 17-foot boat out of southern Indiana onto Lake Michigan, and we'd go up and play on the dunes and such. 16, 17-foot boat on Lake Michigan when it's calm is just fine, but I remember at least once, maybe twice, where toward the end of our day, the winds started blowing, the waves started rising. My dad would say, everybody get in the boat. And my mom put those orange life preservers on me and my little brother, the ones that crush up into your neck and hold you like this the whole time. And we'd start going and the waves would get bigger and the winds were blowing and the water would start pouring over the back of the boat. And I remember my mom saying, kids, Get under the hull. So we went underneath the hull with my dad on the steering wheel, my mom here, and, and we're pounding in the water, and it's turning dark, and we've got to get back to Burns Harbor so, we can, so that we are safe. Ho-pam, ho-pam, ho-pam. And I remember looking out and seeing my mother holding on like this in abject terror. I often wondered what mom and dad talked about after we went to bed on nights like that. <laughs> But that sea could be so calm, so beautiful, so fun, and then wham! Second thing I remember about seas that's kind of scary. Incidentally, I saw the movie Pacific Rim on the way home on the airplane from California a couple weeks ago. Any of you see Pacific Rim? It's a really intelligent film. Uh, it, it, no, it's a sci-fi. It, it comes out of Japan. And Japan, they, the great monsters of the deep come out of Japan. Godzilla, greatest of all time. What makes him so scared? He always comes out of the deep. Okay? So, so I remember Marie and I being North Shore, Oahu, 1991. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Hawaii 5-0. And we, we went out snorkeling one day. And I hadn't snorkeled before. And I've snorkeled since. But this was a snorkel day I didn't want to snorkel. Because somehow, when we started snorkeling, honey, we went out in that little bay, and there were huge schools of fish. They were everywhere. I mean, like every two inches around you. And I saw at least 50,000 barracuda that very first time. It scared me. Seas, the depths. You know, the Bible talks about the sea as being frightening. Job talks about Leviathan, the monster of the deep, probably meant to be the great whale. We think of Jonah literally eating, being eaten by the great fish. Uh, Daniel, chapter 7, in one of Daniel's great visions in the Old Testament, Daniel sees four great nation powers that will rule the earth. Each one of them in his vision, in his dream, is re represented by a great beast that rises out of the sea. The seas are frightening. The seas can kill you. Not surprising that right after the day of teaching, Jesus will take his disciples into the grips of abject terror. Didn't start that way. Open your Bibles with me if you would and turn to Mark chapter 4. 
Mark chapter 4. If you're using one of our Bibles from the church, it's on the back of the chairs. It's on page 994. Chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Watch this. That day, when evening came, Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. They asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right. He has been teaching all day. He had been teaching in a boat. You see that at the beginning of chapter 4. And the reason they did that is the crowds were so large that Jesus couldn't be on land with them because people would crush in on him. So he'd be in a boat just a little, about as far away from you as I am from the first rows here probably. And he's in the boat. And that's where he taught all day. And in eight hours or so of teaching, he's exhausted. He says, guys, let's go to the other side. They're on the west side, northwest side of the lake right now, Galilee. Galilee, 14 miles long, seven miles wide, very deep water lake. He says, guys, let's head across. Oh, they were glad to do that. At least four of them fish this lake every day, and they fish it at night. Why do they fish it at night? Because the waters are always calm at night. We were sailing along on moonlight They're resting, they're talking. Galilee at night, oh my, beautiful. No, we've been there a couple times. Marie and I first expressed love to one another in Israel. Yes, we stayed up all night on the shores of Galilee talking about you could see the singer singing lovely, beautiful, wonderful rocking of the boat. Jesus is in the stern, the back, his head asleep on a cushion. Those boats, we know, because one uh, archaeological ruins were found in 1986 of what we determined to be the average fishing boat. 27 and a half feet long, 7 and a half feet wide, and 4 and a half feet deep. The fishing boat could hold 15 adult men in it. One big mast right in the middle and a great sail. They were rugged boats. And there they were cruising across the waters. <laughs> but look at verse 37. A furious squall came up. Gale force winds came up. Now, listen to this. 
Galilee sits into the interior of Israel, but not so far from the Mediterranean Sea. Galilee itself is 700 feet below sea level. The warm winds from the southern Mediterranean come in off the sea. They go across the plains. They come up toward where Galilee sits in this like cup with hills near mountains all around it. And the warm breezes hit the air and they furiously start to form into major winds. Uh, Marie and I love to hang out in Palm Springs, California. It's got the same thing going for it. The winds and the, uh, come in off the Pacific Ocean and coming out about 70 miles to where Palm Springs is, there's a 10,500 foot, foot mountain and an 11,800 foot mountain and the winds crush through that opening rush down onto the desert floor and it can be enormous winds. This is what happened on that night on the Sea of Galilee. They still have signs, incidentally, if you're at the Sea of Galilee and parked on the western shores, and those signs will say, take care with your cars, waves can come over into the parking lots and literally get the cars all wet. Well, evidently, that happened on this night. It says a furious squall came up, a gale force wind. We've got a picture for you to kind of give you a look at what this might have been like. This is Galilee, if you will, in an artist's rendering. And you see the size of the boat and you see the disciples hard at work and look at the size of those waves. Now remember, the text says that water was literally coming over the sides of the boat. That's a big boat. So these are huge waves that are coming in, probably from either side, lifting them up. Hard to tell, hard to tell, but if you look in the far back, Jesus is laying down there on the elevated stern. Okay? So this is what is going on. Now, they must have been even larger than normal or fishermen wouldn't have been scared for their lives. But look what the text says to us. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? If Peter and Andrew and James and John, who at least we know are fishermen, are saying that to Jesus, if all of their attempts to handle the sail and turn the boat into the waves is doing no good, this is bad. Which caused me to wonder, was this produced by Satan? I don't know the answer to it, but I did remember in my preparations that when Jesus was in the wilderness of temptation and Satan came at him with everything that he had and Jesus won every battle, the Gospel of Luke says Satan left, and then it says, until a more opportune time. We know from the Old Testament, the book of Job, that Satan is granted rights for control of nature. Things happened that were abnormal. Is this one of those? It might have been. It might have been an attempt by the dark side, if you will, to take out, if not Jesus, at least some of his leadership. And if he didn't take them out, scare them so badly, they wouldn't want to give their lives to the cause that will be necessary to change the earth. They're scared. 
they're scared. Fear, 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 fear. Now, contrast. Verse 38, first one, two, three, four, five, six words. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping. Please don't wake me. No, don't shake me. Leave me where I am. I'm only sleeping. Doom, 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 doom. John Lennon, Ringo Starr on drums. <laughs> what a difference. Fear, waves, wetness, life in jeopardy. I'm only sleeping. Now, I know from being in the bow of a boat on Lake Michigan that even if you try to lay down on cushions, you bounce up and down on the waves. I know that. That had to be happening to Jesus. Had to be happening to Jesus. Here we have, if you will, a wonderful moment to say, Look at how human the Son of God was. He got tired. <laughs> that happens to me every night now. I, I, I have some great books that I try to read. I turn on my new... I'm reading H.G. Wells. I just finished War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, and now I'm reading The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. These are compelling books. I don't even make it through one click getting to the next page. <laughs> He's only sleep. Jesus was tired out. He's human. He's just like us in that. But he's also divine. Don't forget that picture of him in your mind, of him sleeping in that Category 5 storm. Because the divine in Jesus knew that there wasn't a worry in the world. There wasn't anything to fear. How different from our lives, huh? When the storms come at you, when the storms come at me, as, as we were singing the last song, I turned to the side and I, and I just looked out at you and I just imagined as I looked at so many faces, what storms are each of those people carrying? What great fears are rising up inside of them? What worries? And then I just imagined again Jesus. Not a care in the world. Our human response to the storms in our lives of, of disease, of, of families breaking apart, of, of betrayal, of loss of job, the natural catastrophes. Listen, what they say to Jesus, I want you to know it's okay if you say it too. What do they say to Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care? That's the natural response. And I want you to know there's nothing wrong with that. It's the natural response when horrible things are happening, when fears rise up inside us. It's the appropriate first response. The book of Psalms is full of people asking that question of God. It's the appropriate first response. But you don't have to let it be your last response. 
It's appropriate to say, God, don't you care? Don't you care? We are dying here. What does Jesus do? Verse 39. He gets up. I don't know what to do with this. I just think it's funny that he gets up. I would have just propped myself up on the pillow and looked out at the water and gone, chill. I mean, I'm just, I just think that's what I would have done because then I'd have gone, he's only sleep. Yeah, that would have been cool. Just kind of lay his head back down. Everything's, but it says he gets up. And perhaps what he is going to engage requires that. He gets up. He rebukes the wind. This is part of where I get the notion that perhaps there's some satanic background here. He rebukes it. Quiet. And he says to the waves, be still. Or as Eugene Peterson has it, he goes, quiet, settle down. (laughs) How many of you had moms that would do that? (laughs) Settle down. Okay, mom. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. We have this story in all the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and every one of them at this point give the sense that that which was roaring ceased. So then I started imagining, okay, 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 okay. So he says, stop it, and the wind just whoop. But the waves would keep rolling for a while, wouldn't they? You've been on the waters. Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, if this is who he is, if he can stop the wind, it may be wind still, sea still, just like that, which you've got to admit is really cool. And it happens. Oh, that we have that kind of power. This is the first of the great nature miracles in the book of Mark. You're going to see five of them as we study Mark. This is the first. You're going to see another one uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks. Five times he does what we call a nature miracle, which means this. God interrupts the natural order of the world and says, excuse me. Boom, stillness. Incidentally, he'll do a sea miracle once again. And I'll tell you why in a couple of minutes. He has the power over the elements. Not a surprise. Colossians chapter 1. He created everything. He is Lord over everything and he holds everything together. The very capacity for the atoms to stay together is by the word of his mouth. So it's nothing at all for him to stop a storm in a moment. Boy, we wish we could do that. (laughs) I was talking to one of my friends who's a, a postal service person. It's not fun being a postal service delivery person in this weather this winter in Chicago. If I was Jesus, I'd say, quit it. Warm up. California and Illinois. This would be very good. But if you're in California, you would say, we need water desperately. Severe drought. 
All of the intelligence of humankind, all the scientific advance cannot do anything but try to predict weather, not shape weather. But three words out of his mouth stopped the storm. If God can do that with nature, he can do that in our lives. I don't know what storms you're facing. Uh, I don't know what fears are rising up inside you. But we believe, we believe God is over them all. And God is in control. And God loves us. Oh God. Now look what Jesus does next. Verse 40. The whole story is really for verses 40 and 41. He then says to his disciples, why? Look at this, everybody. Why? Why? Why are you so afraid? Do you still, do you still have no faith? It doesn't say little faith, some faith. Says, do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Jesus is dealing with two mighty torrents in this story. The first is nature, the outer world. But now he drives right in to my mind and my heart and your mind and your heart. The greatest storms of life are the storms that are swirling inside me. And using the outer storm as his metaphor. He says, why are you so afraid? Now, go back to the picture of Jesus asleep in the stern in your mind. Remember it. Because Jesus was calm, what? In the storm. And that's meant to be a picture for us of Jesus in serenity in the midst of what appears to be Holocaust. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew what he could do. And not a single person in that boat was in any danger whatsoever. I think Jesus sleeping in the stern is a picture of how God wants us to be able to live our lives. Does God take all the storms away? No. But where is God? In the storm. In the storm. So when he rebukes his disciples, he says, Why are you so afraid, you guys? Did a little work on this this week in the Old and New Testament. The most important commandment in the Bible is thou shalt love the Lord your God, right? With all your mind, all your heart, all your will, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The two most important commandments. May I tell you what the most repeated commandment is in the Bible? Do not fear. Three 165 times in the Bible is God say, do not 
fear or do not be afraid. We could do a devotion every day of the year on a fear passage, which says what? We got serious problems with fear. Serious, serious problems. There's nothing God says don't do more than be afraid. Why? Because he's sleeping in a boat and everything's fine with his world. Fear, 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 fear. A lot of us face fears every day. They're after us. Some are little, some are big. Incidentally, worry is another name for fear. Worry is simply low-grade chronic fear. Isn't it? Yeah, it's low-grade chronic fear. And it's always bubbling up. It bubbled up in me yesterday. I, I was finalizing my message yesterday morning, and this always happens to me. I get afraid. This is not going to work. I mean, the notes make perfect sense. <laughs> and then this morning, Jill only made it worse. She looked over at this, and she goes, oh, yeah, that'll work. Well, if God had led me in the study, if God was guiding me as I created it, why was I afraid? I, I started thinking about one of our children and popped into my mind, and this child is doing wonderful and things are going great in this child's life, but the thought hit me, ah, we haven't heard from this child in six, seven hours. Now it's about nine in the morning. Maybe I had no right to expect we would have heard in the last six or seven hours. But that, oh no, th this might have happened, this might have happened. And I realized, whoa, my default mechanism is always fear. It's one of the six compelling sins in my life. Rob and I were together this week, and as we're getting to know one another better, we're starting to be honest about areas where we really can fall into temptation. And we've realized that we share two of them already. You want to know what they are? Mm -mm. Not going to go there. Uh, but I began, <laughs> then I said, Rob, I have six. He says, is that all? Uh, probably a lot more. There's just six areas that are kind of below sea level for me where I can be so easily tempted and one of those is to fear things. Little things, big things. Worry is chronic, low-grade fear going on. And I realize how hurt our lives are because we live by fear rather than this thing called faith. Listen to what the great Charles Spurgeon says about it. He says, Many fears entertained by good men and women are really groundless. An old proverb says, don't cross the bridge until you get to it, but these timid people are continually crossing bridges that only exist in foolish fantasies in their minds. They starve themselves in imaginary famines. They stab themselves with imaginary daggers. They bury themselves in imaginary graves. Such strange creatures are we that we probably smart more under blows which never fall upon us than those that do. I certainly have found that true in my life. And this is what Jesus is addressing. And he stands up and he rebukes the winds. And then still standing, he rebukes the disciples. Look at this picture now of the calm sea. I really like it. 
sail in the water. All hell has seemingly broken loose. The skies are still, you know, there could be lightning back in those skies. Jesus just standing up and goes, quiet. Look at the disciples' fear. We'll address that in just a moment. Is there any better portrait of God's capacity to handle what is ever troubling us in a moment? And so Jesus says, fear, 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 fear. Fear will get you what a morbid, destructive temptation is fear in our lives. Well, what do we do about it? Jesus again. This is why we use the, the Word of God. We believe that the Bible teaches us the way of life. And so Jesus says in verse 40, Why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? Evidently, this issue called faith has something to do with the problem of fear. Do you still have no faith? See how he juxtapositions them against each other? The antidote to fear is faith. The antidote to fear is faith. And, and folks, faith is the God-given capacity to trust Him with whatever our fears are. It's the God-given capacity to literally trust Him with whatever our fears are. You say, so then I will never fear if I have faith. I'm not saying that. At least in my life that hasn't worked that way. I find that fear, like every other temptation, strikes in just the same way that the wind will strike you when you walk outdoors. You can't stop it. It's going to hit. It's what you do with the wind when it hits. And so I don't want to say that if you have faith, you won't fear. What I'm going to say is you will fear, and then you apply faith to the fear. You add to the fear with faith. Not fear or faith, but it's really fear, then faith. And so I looked at my notes yesterday and go, God... This sermon belongs to you tomorrow. Immediate attitudinal shift. I thought of our child. I said, God, that child's in your hands. Incidentally, about 15 minutes later, after I'd finished my sermon, I gave the child a call, and she said, Hi, Daddy. Everything was just fine, thank you. Fear hits. You recognize it. And you apply faith. The disciples hadn't learned to do that yet. And if they don't learn to do that, they will never carry the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. This is training for them. How about you? What are you afraid of? Real fears? Pretend fears? Whatever they are. Can you simply say, God of the storm? Take it. It's a prayer. I choose to believe, God. I choose to believe. 
When you really start living by faith, people will think you're weird. Because you'll talk, about, you'll talk more about what God can do than how bad life is. You won't deny everything that's hard. But on top of every concern comes but God. Jesus is exemplifying that for us today. You say, man, I really want to learn this, Lon. I, I get you. Uh, we're all on this journey. Incidentally, that's why we need the church. Did you know in early Christian art, oftentimes the church is represented as a ship in a raging sea? Because there's something about us together in the boat that helps us to get through the storms. So we're glad you're here. Those of you that are just beginning to think about Christianity or are left and are coming back, I hope you'll come to Alpha. Wednesday morning for women, uh, Thursday night for everybody, and we deal with these issues for the next 10 weeks over food. I, I hope you'll come. Keep coming to church. Learn the discipline of faith that it may always extinguish our fears. Extinguish our fears. I love what... Uh, this writer, Warren Wiersbe, says, no life capsizes when the Son of God is in it. Isn't that good? No life capsizes when the Son of God is in it. God is like radar in a storm. He doesn't always take it away, but He's always with us through it. He's always with us through it. Well, now to verse 41 as we move to our conclusion. And isn't this interesting? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were terrified. Jesus says, what are you afraid of? And it looks like they are more scared after the sea is calm than when they were in the storm. And incidentally, you know how I said 365 times in the Bible it says do not fear? 144 times it does say in the Bible, fear God. This is the Holy One. Jesus, God stepping into humanity and taking control over His world. That is something to have a reverential fear about. He's the Lord of creation, the Lord of our life, Lord of the land, Lord of the seas. They were terrified. Five times from now on through the end of Mark, you'll hear where people are afraid of Jesus. That's good fear. Aren't you glad he loves you? You take that power. Take fear out of it. Because what? Love is there. But you respect that power. You respect that love. And I do need to say this, just as I get ready to pray. God loves you. God died for you. And God wants to live with you forever. If you say no to that, you should be afraid. It's an eternal decision. But to all of you who deal with abject fear in your life, the Son of God is here 
And so for any of you who have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've never said, okay, God, it's clear when I try to run my life, fear dominates. Here, take my life. I've got a prayer for you. We put it up on the screen right now. It says this, God, I've not put my faith in you. Forgive me. I give you the control of my life today. Take charge, Lord. Amen. Does that express the desire of any of your hearts? Are you ready to cross over and put your trust in Christ? Receive Him in your life and start a new world order? If so, then I invite you to pray with me. Now, just before I do this, those of you who have already prayed that kind of prayer, but you still know you're gripped by fear, I've got a prayer for you coming up in one minute. But those of you that are saying, man, I haven't given my life to God. I need to, I want to. Pray these words after me. God, I've not put my faith in you. Forgive me. I give you the control of my life today. Take charge, Lord. Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer, please come to the front after service where our prayer counselors are They want, and tell them you prayed that prayer so that we can give you some materials and help you as you launch into your Christian journey. Now, for those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ but are addicted to fear, here's the prayer I have for you. God, I know you and love you but have allowed fear to rule my life. Forgive me. Fill me with faith again and make me a faithful man or woman. Pray this with me, church, if this is the desire of your heart. God, I know you and love you, but have allowed fear to rule my life. Forgive me. Fill me with faith again and make me faithful. Amen. Stand with us now as Brian leads us in just a closing, closing word.